Uh, it's great. Well, welcome to church, everyone, and welcome to be, and families for coming and celebrating these dedications. I love dedications. Thank you so much for coming. It means a lot to us. They're great. But kids, guess what? It's time for your program to start. You're going to have a great service out there, so you can make your way out to kids' land now. That would be wonderful. Don't you love it when the kids, the preacher gets up and the kids run out? Pretty cool. Love it. I want to share a message with you today, and um, it's basically part two of a message I shared on Anzac Day. And um, I pray it's a real encouraging word to you. And um, it's part of a little mini-series that I began called Laying It Down, or Lay It Down. And um, yeah, so I hope you enjoy this message, but more importantly, I pray it really sinks into your spirit, something from God on this one. Is that cool? Yeah. Um, I've got a mate who lives in the Northern Territory, lives in Darwin. He's a good friend, and he's a funny guy. And we went and visited him a few years ago in the month of August. And when we were driving through the suburbs to get to his house, we noticed that nearly every house had a whole bunch of council pickup things happening on the curb. And I asked him, Troy, what's happening here? And he said, well, every August, the council does a big pickup because they don't want things sitting in your backyards that you might not want because cyclone season is coming and it could all become debris to smash into your house. And um, what's fascinating, though, is in most of those things where we went, there were exercise machines all on the curb. And Troy, being who Troy is, takes me to his house and opens up his garage, and there's all this exercise equipment in there which he's going to put on Marketplace. And um, it just made me fascinated how those things sell and how readily people will buy this dream of being fit or being more you know, pliable in their body or healthier. And there are so many different machines. And I guarantee you there's probably a new one coming tomorrow, a new one which solves all your problems, answers all your questions about your health. You will have a better life if you use this machine. But I'm also fascinated by how quickly we get rid of them. And I, I must admit, I've done that several times where I have things in my cupboard which I haven't seen for years, which were going to change my life and make my life better. But I haven't used them for so long. I think there is a yearning within every person to want to live an incredible life. I think there is. I think there's a desire within us all. In fact, I think God puts it in us. And I think it's the reason why he sent Jesus, is so that we can live an incredible life. There's no doubt about it. Jesus made it very clear. There's three scriptures I love to quote, which really shows us really what Jesus' intention was. He didn't hide his intentions. In John 10, 10, he actually said, I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Don't you love that word, abundantly? That's why he came. In John chapter 15, verse 16, he said, You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that that fruit would remain. He wants you to have a fruitful life, an abundant life, a fruitful life. But we also have John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Abundant fruitful and everlasting life. I believe that's what God's plan is for us. 
And I want to tell you, right now, I feel an urgency in the spiritual realm for the church right now to embrace the abundant, fruitful, and everlasting life. There was some sort of election on yesterday, apparently. And maybe you're ecstatic today, or maybe you're the opposite to ecstatic today. I want to tell you, it makes no difference to your life. Because God is in your life, and His intention for your life has not changed. And He wants to work through you. And in fact, I believe that God has a special plan for the church, the life of every person within His church to make a difference in our society right now. So regardless of the result of the election, I'm excited. Because I honestly believe the church is the answer for any society. I remember at the end of last year, I was praying for this year and the Lord said to me, Rick, will my church lead? Will my church lead? I don't know. Then he gave me that scripture. Is there not a cause, Rick? And I've named this year for our church, is there not a cause? I believe the church has an opportunity right now to lead. And I'm not talking about lead like the world would think lead happens. Jesus actually explained what leadership is. Serve. If you want to be great, become the least. Be the one who props up everyone else. That's leadership. And I believe that's what he's asked us to do. So church, all my preaching this year is all about us grabbing hold of this mandate, if you like, that God has on us to live this incredible life which leads the world in such a way that blesses it, that helps people, that allows people to also live abundant, fruitful, and everlasting lives. I think that's actually the mission of the church, to take Jesus to all people, to help all to walk abundant, fruitful, and everlasting lives. That's what we do. So I wanna speak today on this little thing about lay it down. And last time I spoke on this, I talked about how Jesus actually said, hey, if you wanna follow me, lay your life down. And it was a very hard message to receive then. It's even harder now. But church, I'm asking you to keep an open heart. And I'm asking you to think this through and to allow God to show you what he wants to say out of the scriptures as I preach. Is that cool? John chapter 12, verse 23 to 26. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel or a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Well, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Pretty abrupt sort of scripture, don't you think? Bossy, very bossy Jesus. You gotta understand the context of when this was written and what these words mean. We, we read words in their servant, we read words in their, you know, lose your life. And in the context of that, he's not talking about kill yourself. He's not talking about being abused. He's actually talking about this is a key to living an incredible life if you want to really look at the context of it. He, he was sitting there and he's talking with disciples and here we are in the time of history, which is a day or so before the Passover feast, which he knew he was about to be crucified for or at. He knew his time, that's what he said, the time has come, the Son of Man's gonna be given up. 
He's meeting with them, I believe it was on Thursday. On the Friday, Jesus dies. He literally gets flogged, beaten, hung on a cross and dies. And he says this, hey, I've got something to tell you, my followers, my disciples, sitting around the dinner table. And um, he says this, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. Referring to himself again, I'm about to die. My life is like a seed. And when I die, it's a good thing is what he's saying. When I lay my life down, it's a good thing. Because if I do that, there's gonna be a lot more seeds, a lot more lives because of it. He understood what he's saying. He's trying to get it across to his disciples. And um, you know, see, Jesus fell to the ground, so to speak, by coming to earth. Philippians tells us in chapter two, verse six and eight, who, talking about Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, Paul writing this, the apostle Paul, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus fell to the ground. He fell from ruling in heaven to serving on earth. But even he said, but do you know what? That's not all. Unless a seed falls to the ground, and dies, it doesn't produce it. And that's where he is right now. He's fallen to the ground. He'd already fallen. He'd come and humbled himself, but it was time to die. But then Jesus goes on. He says in verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life or puts it aside, puts their life aside, in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me or follow my example is the context right here. Whoever serves me must follow my example. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. He turns it towards his disciples now. He turns it back on those who are following him. And I wanna take it in context right now. He turns it back on us. He said, I'm about to lay down my life. I fell to the ground, but it's time to die. And church, I'm gonna turn that back on you is what he's saying. Now, not for an instance do I think he means, do we take our life? No, no, he wants us to live our lives. But there's an element of us needing to lay down our lives to gain the life that he wants us to live. If you look at the context of several things Jesus says through the time he was here, he said, if you want to really gain great life, lay it down. He, he, he was just full of paradox, these things that don't make sense. If you want to get something, give it away and you'll get it. You've heard, love your friends. I tell you, love your enemies. He turned things around and here he's doing it again. He's saying, look, you want to live an, an incredible life? Well, here's the key. I want you to lay your life down. But if it dies, it produces many seed. I start thinking about this. Fall to the ground and die. As a Christian who's 
been in church all my life. These dedications, beautiful dedications. Well, that was me held in some man's arms, dedicated eight days after being born, apparently. And God has blessed my life. I've been in church. And, and I read this and I think, wow, that's interesting. Fall to the ground and die as a believer. I think I can be reconciled with the idea of falling to the ground. When you think about a church attender, a person who's a church member. And that is, do you know what? I'll come to church and I'll get down on my knees. I'll lift my hands. I'll humble myself before the Lord. I'll pray to him. I put myself in submission to this amazing God of mine. I have no problem falling to the ground, so to speak. But do I have a problem of this next step? Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies. You see, the fruit or the, the multiplication factor is not in the falling to the ground. It's in the dying. And I love to come to church. I love to be part of the church body. I love the fellowship. I love the connections we have in church life. Naomi and I went down to Melbourne and I connected with some other pastors down there for a meeting and I just love the connection. It's something, but that's all part of falling to the ground. It's not necessarily laying down my life. You know, before Naomi, before there was a Naomi, there was another. In fact, there were three others. There's this one young person called Linda, a blonde, beautiful, and I fell for her. She's my cousin. I was in kindergarten, she was in year one. Hi, Linda. She often watches us from Perth. Hi, Linda. Yes, I had to confess. There you go, sorry. But I was going to marry Linda. There's two others, not including Agnetha from Abba. <laughs> Got into year five, year six, and there's another one called Tanya. And oh, and I remember the day when I went up to her and said, Will you go with me? And she said, I'll go with you. And that was the extent of our relationship. <laughs> two weeks later, I found out I was dropped. Heartbroken. So I played handball. Then year eight, there was a girl called Cheryl. I fell for Cheryl. And um, she wasn't aware of that. And I made the, the fatal mistake of telling my mate, you know what, I've got something for Cheryl. Well, my mate be a mate. Hey, Cheryl, guess what? <laughs> and I'll never forget these words that came back to me. I like you as a friend, Rick, but I don't really want to go with you. I fell for them. But then I remember at year 18 years old, coming to Christ in the most beautiful way and realising this little brat of a girl who was the senior pastor's daughter actually <laughs> was something special named Naomi. And I fell for her. Then on the um, 1st of July, 1989, I died for her. I've said a vow, and at that vow, I laid it down. 
And if you want to be really gross about it, we produce fruit. <laughs> it's one thing to fall for something. It's a whole new game to lay something down. And I think in a Christian life, it's exactly the same. It's one thing to fall. It's one thing to get on your knees and humbly come to God and give him some of your pay packet maybe or something, something else or give him your time or your resources and to worship God. And, and I think the modern day church, there's never been a church better than that in, than the modern day church. We fall to the ground. It's a, it's a beautiful thing and I don't ever want to despise it. But that's only part of the thing. That doesn't get you exactly what you're looking for in life. That doesn't bring fulfillment. That doesn't bring fruit. That doesn't bring you what you need in your life. And I think the time now is for the church to decide, are we willing to go the next step? I know many of you have. But I think as a church as a whole, do we lay it down? Do we really? Have we come to God and said, I, I make a vow? See, I've only ever made two vows in my life. I've kept both of them and I will until the day I die because God takes vows very seriously. A great wedding yesterday, you would have said some vows. And every time I have the honor of performing someone's ceremony for them, I remind this couple, you're about to make a vow and vows are very important. Do not break them. God takes them seriously. He's gonna hold you account for them. I've made two. One to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I will serve you all the days of my life. And to this day, I've not stopped doing that. And I won't. You know what? There is no turning back for me. Why? Because it's no longer I that lives. I made that decision. It's his life now. I gave up all rights. I surrendered my life to him. I just didn't fall to the ground. I surrendered my life. My second vow is to my wife. Hasn't always been easy. Sometimes I sit there and think, was that the right decision? I'm sure she's felt that several times. But it was a vow. We'll work through that. Because I made a vow. I died. I want to keep on the marriage met metaphor. It's very interesting, marriage. Paul says probably the most controversial scripture of our lifetime. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Bet you didn't use that in the scripture yesterday, did you? You did? Good on you, buddy. But it's, this day you can almost hear the oxygen sucked out of the room. <gasps> How dare. You have people who don't understand the scriptures. <gasps> but when you understand the scripture, what Paul's trying to achieve here, it's massive. What he's saying to this lady is this. Lay it down. Lay your life down. If you're gonna be married, lay your life down for that spouse of yours. Oh, but why does it say that he's the head of the wife? Let's read on. Actually, says, husbands, he doesn't let the guys off the hook. In fact, he firmly places them on the hook. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, giving himself for her, laying himself down. Remember Jesus' idea of leadership? was to become the servant, right? So if he's the head of the house, he's the number one servant. He gets to lay down first. He gives his life over first, showing his family how to do it. 
That's what it's about. So you like the scripture now? Who's going to have it in the wedding now? Renew your vows, Ben? Yeah, let's do it. You don't need to. This whole thing about laying your life down is not a popular message this day and age because we have a world that tells you not to do that. But yet Jesus actually explains, this is the best way. If you want to see incredible things flow out of your life, it's about the dying, not the living. It's about handing it over. It's in the surrender. You see, to fall to the ground is to be humble. To lay it down is to surrender. If you don't remember anything else out of this message, remember that one. We kneel to his lordship when we fall to the ground. We bow in worship. We honour him as king, king. That's honour, it's humility. But the next step is absolute surrender. God, you now own my life. Can I just put a bookmark in that and just say, the church doesn't own your life. This pastor doesn't own your life, nor does he want to. Some people have made mistakes of laying their lives down for a church service. Big mistake, because it's not Jesus. In fact, you've, you've fallen into a big trap there because anything you lay your life down in this context, other than Jesus, and I believe a spouse, and therefore your family, in your role, I honestly believe you're gonna find it very difficult. It'll probably beat you up. So I'm not asking you to do that. No, 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 this pastor doesn't do that. I'm not asking you to lay your life down for a church. Although your brothers and sisters will benefit from you laying your life down to Jesus. Hearing me there? When it comes to our life, God's actually asked you to lay it down and then you'll find true life. So what do you find? What do you find when you do it? When the seed falls to the ground and dies, it produces much. What does it produce? Well, I thought about it and I've talked about it already. First thing is that it produces an abundant life. Abundant. Now, the word abundant in this day and age, we think full of stuff. That means I've got a boat and a caravan and, and a big house. No, 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 that's not abundance. In fact, I've met several people who have all those things and are not fulfilled in their life. I think an abundant life is a fulfilled life. An abundant life is the life where you're not striving. I don't think the Christian life should be one of striving. It shouldn't be. It should be one of resting. Resting in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. And he's achieved so much for you and he provides for you. And an abundant life understands that. An abundant life lives under the favour of God. Oh, but Rick, I'm not blessed. No, 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 you've got blessing and favour up, upside down. Favour is when everything's going crazy and not good, you don't lose your joy. There's something inside you, you're not derailed. That's favour. Because bad things will still happen. Things happen along life which is not pleasant. It's gonna happen. A favoured life or an abundant life doesn't mean bad things don't happen. It means when, you does, when it does happen, you get through it. Why? Because you have wholeness. You know what? Happiness is overrated. I love it, but it's overrated. What you're really looking for in life is not happiness, it's wholeness. If happiness is what I'm looking for, it can be taken in a flash. It can be taken like that. But you can't take my wholeness because Jesus makes me whole. And when I lay my life down, that's where I find that beautiful abundance from Jesus. 
You see in the world we live in, people trying so many things to get fulfilled, to find fulfillment in life, to fill that void, to, to find that, that abundance in their lives. They try all different sorts of relationships. They try all different sorts of substances. So many different sorts of activities and it all falls short. I wanna be very raw with you right now, but one of the most tragic things about our lifetime is the amount of young people in Australia taking their own lives. It's a tragedy. We're the lucky country. This is the greatest planet Earth, uh, greatest country on Earth. Weather-wise, people-wise, situation, politically, regardless of last night, still politically, the greatest nation on planet Earth. Context of what you might be thinking. Why would a young person want to take their life? Do you understand our rates are higher than anyone else in the world except for maybe Japan? Why? Why? That shouldn't happen in our nation. And so all of a sudden when I start thinking about things, this message is important for us. I'm wondering whether or not, I've got a theory. You see, at the beginning of the last century and the turn of the 20th century, the Australians were called to come and lay down their lives for a cause against tyranny. World War I. And they went and they, many laid down their physical lives. Many laid down their lives here because they lost loved ones. Did it again in 1939, World War II. Received the call and went. Probably the greatest generation that's ever lived. Australians did it so well. Again, in the 60s they did it and they still do it today in many areas, but there's a difference now. It's like there's not a call anymore to lay your life down. And our young people are raising up and, and, and they've got this call inside of them to lay down their life, but we're not giving them a reason to do it. If we put out the right cause, give them a cause to lay down their life, not physically, not only metaphorically, you know what I'm saying. Maybe they'll stop taking their own lives. That's my theory. I watched a great documentary on Nancy Wake, a Kiwi girl, Grew up in Melbourne, found herself in Europe during World War II, and she was a tough young lady. She became part of the resistance, the French resistance. And um, she married, she fell in love with this amazing French man. And, but there's this one scene in this documentary where she said to him, I've got to go. I've got to do my role. I've got to be who I am. And he understood. And she went and helped so many of the allies. He ended up being tortured because he wouldn't tell them where she was. She was the white mouse, if you wanna Google it. She lived an incredibly, incredible life after that. I'm sure there was a lot of pain from her memories and things like that, but she lived this abundance. She lived an abundance. She wasn't striving for more, trying to get the latest hit. I... Um, Realize something. When you're living a life of abundance, you're not striving, you've got nothing to prove, and how you see yourself is very different. I, um, as you may know, if you're not, I'm a bit of a Panthers fan, and it's a really good time in history to be a Panthers fan. <laughs> <coughs> and there was something happened interesting. 
leading up to the game against Melbourne where we flogged them, but anyway. Came out in the press that the Melbourne had mocked some of the boys in our team, the Panthers team, because they've like, got a bit of a gangster thing about them, you know, they're West Side, and they do all this cool stuff, gangster type stuff without being gangsters. And um, that's just them, eh? They walk in with their beatbox on their shoulders and they've got a bit of swagger about them. And it's very interesting that they put that out there to bait the Panthers. I thought, oh, how are they gonna respond to this? They were mocking the Panthers, these young men. And someone interviewed one of the young boys and he goes, oh, well, I just think it's amazing that we represent our community. I love it. And I think it's wonderful that they're doing that. I thought they didn't get offended at all. You know, all those boys are all um, loving Jesus. They all love Jesus, these boys. You see them pray after every game? A lot of them are Islander boys. I love Jesus with all their heart. And they didn't get offended. Have you noticed how easily people get offended these days? I was talking to a couple of guys the other day and a guy from South Australia. And, oh, South Australia. Yeah, South Australia is a proof that Tasmanians can swim. He got offended. And so the other guy, because he's from Tasmania. It's a joke. But you, <laughs> do you know what I've realised? Dead people don't get offended because they don't regard self as that important. What's more important is the other person because I've laid it down. And I started thinking, well, was the last, last time I got offended about something? I couldn't think of it. I thought, do you know what? I don't want to be offended. I want to be, just, if someone tries to offend me, do you notice something about offence? It's only ever taken. You take an offence. Don't take it. Yeah. It's never given. Just taken. Don't, don't take the offence. Just smile and say, God bless you. It's really easy when you've laid your life down. You see, self takes the back seat when you've laid it down for Jesus. In fact, self is in the boot. In fact, maybe you've left it behind. And if self is in, left behind, it doesn't matter what they say about yourself because you're living for Jesus anyway, right? I don't wanna be a person who gets get offended at stuff. You see, when you live in this abundant life, possessions don't own you. I think it's good to have nice stuff, but when the stuff has you, Jesus actually said this in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for worry, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He's given a cheat here, a really good cheat. He's saying, look, if, you wanna, if you're pursuing all this stuff, it's, it's, it's real, in the true sense of the word, selfish. If you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, all these things and much more will be given unto you. And he says, hey, and don't worry. Let the worry go. Let the offense go. Let the issues go. Die to self and allow God to flourish in your life. So what do you see when you lay it down? An abundant life. The next thing is a fruitful life. Fruitful Christian life is a life that has positive impact on other lives. That's my best definition I've come up with. A fruitful life has a positive effect on other lives. That's what fruitful is. Fruitful, I don't care about how much is in your bank balance. That doesn't mean you're fruitful. 
What's fruitful is what effect have you had on the generations around you or the people around you, your neighbor, the person. That, that's what a fruitful life is. A fruitful life is making sure people are aware that there's goodness in the world. That's what a fruitful life is. Is someone better off after meeting you? After spending time with you, are they better off? That's a fruitful life. And what I found is a person who's laid their life down, especially in a conversation, that person you're speaking with walks away much better off. One, because you're not talking about yourself. Maybe you showed interest in them. Maybe you spoke some life into them. Maybe they received some amazing stuff out of your life which benefits them greatly. That's the, that's the fruitful life. I think the Christians should be the most fruitful people on planet Earth, if that's the case. It has nothing to do with your finances. It has nothing to do with your possessions. It has everything to do with your intention. And my intention is I want to bless people. Our intention should be we want to input into people's lives. That's the fruitful life. Blaise Pascal, I did a bit of research on Blaise Pascal. Um, an amazing man back in the 17th century. And um, he had this encounter. See, he was a believer, grew up in church and um, found it all boring really until one day had this encounter. And if you ever want to read it, it's called Fire by Blaise Pascal. And it's like he's just trying to get something out, which is, he's trying to explain something that's inexplainable. He's just trying to get, it's just a beautiful piece of reading. But he wrote this quote, I love it. We should make people wish the gospel is true and, show them, and then show them that it is. Stuffed it up, I'll read it again. We should make people wish the gospel is true and then show them that it is. Our lives when someone speaks to you, you bring life into them. When someone witnesses your life, they want what you've got, whatever that thing is. That's the fruitful life. If you've achieved that, well done. Keep it going. You know, one thing I'm, I'm, I'm seeing in life right now is my, my children want to follow in their parents' footsteps. I've seen it in your family too. That's fruitful. They want to be like you. You must have done something right. You must have spoken some life into them and given some hope into them so that they want to actually take what you've done and run it even further. That's fruitfulness. I think when you see your children loving each other, you've actually sown something into your life. That's fruitful. That's what a fruitful life should be like. Right now, if you haven't noticed, our church in Cambodia, oh, I've seen so many young people come to Christ, so many young people helped, so many families in villages, you know, just being blessed. It's incredible, but I want to tell you something. I know personally a group of people who have laid their lives down for that. You have Ben and Theta and their entire family that laid it down. They lay it down every day, that family, big time. Then you've got Jen. Ni Cooper, who's now Chun, laid her life down many years ago. She decided not to just fall to the ground, but to die. Goes over there, but just incredible fruit. But then you've got these two young men, Minset, who's here today, and Uton. And what impresses me most about these two young men is that they're dead.
What I mean by that is this. They have this incredible joy about them. They love God. They worship God. But they've also laid it down fully. They don't know that I know this, but we, we finance them a little bit. We, we, as a church, we finance them. They give it all away. <laughs> they go and build things for the young men and help the young men and get food for them and clothes and they educate these young men with the money we pay them. And we wonder why Cambodia is exploding right now. Well, you watch it. You watch the generation God's raising there. It's amazing. Abundant, fruitful. And the third thing, I'll just finish up now. When we lay it down, we see an everlasting life. John 12, 25, Jesus actually said this, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life or puts their life aside is the best way to say that, in this world will keep it for eternal life. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus actually makes this crazy statement. In fact, you really want to get some good context on this. Pastor Jesse spoke a great message on this, yes, last week. You need to look at that. It's really, really cool. Mark 10, 29, Jesus is speaking. I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left homes or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, <laughs> And in the age to come, eternal life. He said, not just now. You're going to live this incredible life now, but there's an age to come. I think there's not a generation that that has gone by that has forgotten about eternity as much as our generation has. This is not the end game, people. Not if you're a Bible-believing Christian. The end game is an eternity with Christ. I actually believe we're in the last days. I do. There's not many more prophecies to fulfill in the Bible. In fact, there's probably just one, and that's Jesus coming back. Everything else has been fulfilled as recent as just the last couple of years. He's coming back, friend. And that's a big game change. That's why I'm not concerned about who leads in this world. Because I think Jesus is coming back, and I think he's going to change everything. That's what our Bible tells us. If you want to read the Bibles, and like I said, in the last few years, lots of prophecies have been fulfilled. There's only really one big one to go. I can't help but think it's soon. What's eternity look like for you? Jesus, in another statement, when he's going on about this lay your life down, he actually said, what profits someone if they gain the whole world and lose their soul? What profits them? It's all going to burn in the end. Oh, but I've got all this stuff. It's going to burn. If not, if it doesn't burn, it's going to rust, decay. How's your life? Have you thought about eternity? You see, this whole laying down of your life, it begins with a vow. That's where it begins. Like I said, I've had two vows, made two vows to my wife, which I will keep all my life. But I made another vow and that was to Jesus. Jesus, you have my life. It is yours. 
1985 that was. <laughs> you say, well, that's a long time ago. And I've not broken that vow either. I think, Christian, it is the way to seeing the most amazing life. I love my life. The favour that God's placed on my life, I cherish it. But I think it's not because of any smarts that I've done or any skillful I've done or any great investments I've done. It was because of a vow that I made. I shouldn't have the favour or the blessings that are on my life. I've stopped looking for the blessings because it's not about the blessings, it's about the vow. It's about that moment where I said, my life is yours, Jesus. So I don't know where you're at today, but I wanna tell you, friend, what you're really looking for in life is found in the surrender to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. He's alive. Read an article today, it's conclusive, the crucifixion happened and um, the, the world has just caught on. It's inconclusive, oh, it's inconclusive. they've proven that the crucifixion happened and there is so much evidence about the resurrection, it's the most proven fact in ancient history. He's real. And if he said he'd do that and he did it, he also said he's coming back. He's coming back. I don't know what that's gonna look like. I'm glad I'm gonna get a front row seat. Amen. I'd like to challenge you, leave you with a bit of a challenge as we finish up. Where do you stand with God right now? Have you just laid it down? I'm mean, sorry, have you just fallen to the ground is the best way to say it? Have you just fallen down? I love to worship Him. I love to humble myself before God. Friend, that's not enough. That's not where the fruit, that's not where the abundance, that's not where the eternal life dwells. It dwells in the dying. But here's the beautiful, beautiful result of that. The incredible life you get to live because you've laid it down. But only you can do it. I can't tell whether you have or not. Nor would I judge you. Only you know that. So I'm gonna pray for you. If that's you, I want you just to contemplate. Maybe if you just say, God, I wanna surrender my life. Just ask him, ask him. Just say it to him. He'll hear you and he will prove how real he is to you. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much. I wanna thank you for those children who have been dedicated today. And in fact, all the kids, just amazing. Love it. Father, I wanna thank you for the families that are here and every single person and young people. I think it's amazing. But Lord, this is a very difficult message to lay it down, especially in our time. But Lord, you're above difficulty. You have a way. Holy Spirit, that you're with us right now. Lord, would you reveal how much Jesus loves every person here? That he would want them to live abundant, fruitful and everlasting lives. Father, Holy Spirit, just let them know that you are with them. And Lord, if anyone asks to surrender to you, Lord God, reassure it in their heart right now. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that each one of us, as we do this, 
that your presence would accompany us all the time. And Lord, as a result, we will see an incredible thing happen with a church rising up to lead the way Jesus wants it to lead. And Lord, we will give you glory. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, can you imagine with me what it would look like with a whole bunch of people who are fully surrendered to Jesus? Oh, I think it's the hope of our nation. I think it's the hope of our community. I think God's calling our church to lead. Maybe He's calling every church to lead, I don't know. But He's definitely calling our church to lead. Friends, it begins with laying it down. Amen? Well, God bless you. Thank you for, we went over a little bit with the baby dedications and the video and stuff. But God bless you. I pray you have an incredible rest of the weekend. And why don't you meet some people you have not met before and um, have a cup of tea, coffee. Go down to the cafe and have a great time down there. I'm sure Josh would love it back down there. God bless you. Amen.